Hello, greetings. We're so glad that you've joined us. We're very glad for your interest in spiritual matters. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ, where disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. In Matthew chapter 16, after Simon declares and confesses that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus commends him for that confession, and he declares in verse 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. At this point, Jesus introduces the idea of the church. And for the rest of the New Testament, both Jesus and the apostles will speak of the church often. And it is clear from Scripture that the church is of the greatest importance to Jesus and to Christianity. But while that is very clear in Scripture, there's a lot of confusion in the religious world about the nature of the church. If you think about Christianity, you probably think of all kinds of different denominations, different types of churches teaching different things. They've got different structures. Some will claim they're the only ones who are right and going to heaven. Others will try to say that everybody uh, can agree to disagree on a lot of things and they're all Christians. And there's just a lot of confusion. Which is it? Is it either? And it can lead you to despair. Maybe you've tried to think of consider Christianity, or maybe you've heard some things and you just don't know where to go, don't know where to start. Because after all, which one is right? How can you know which would be right? Can we even find this church of which Jesus speaks here on earth anymore? You might want to know. What is this church that belongs to Christ, and how can I become a part of it? Well, I'd like to suggest that one thing we can do is we can go back to the scriptures. We can go back to what we find in the pages of the New Testament to peel off all of those layers of traditions and accretions over time and try to get back to what Jesus and the apostles originally intended about the church, to see the nature of the church as they established it. Maybe by going back to those kind of fundamental ideas, we can get more mature insights about the church that belongs to Christ. To begin with, we've got that word church. Here in Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus has used a specific word. Here in, in the Greek, it's ecclesia. Ecclesia, a lot of times people want to talk about in terms of its root. It does come from Greek preposition ek, which means from, uh, out of, and kleo, which means I call. So it means the called out ones. Would people think that's what it means based on its derivation? The way that the word is actually used uh, is something that is important to consider because the word was in use for hundreds of years before Jesus used it. And by the time of the first century, it has come to mean assembly. English word church has taken on a very religious meaning. And that's just the way it is, and it's understandable. But the Greek word ecclesia was not as narrowly used. In Acts chapter 19, for instance, we can see all kinds of uses of this Greek word ecclesia. In Acts chapter 19, and in verse 39, uh, we read that uh, if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular ecclesia. What the town clerk means here by that is a regular assembly of the city. That is, the group of citizens who'd come together to make decisions on behalf of the city. It seems that the Ecclesiae in many of the Greek cities continue to exist even with Roman rule, and the Romans gave the city a latitude about making certain decisions about certain issues. Earlier in that text, um, <coughs> we have seen that um, the same idea in verse 32 
Now some cried out something, some another, for the ecclesia was in confusion. Most of them did not know why they had come together. What they're talking about is a riot, um, and it's a gathering that had come to declare the greatness of Artemis because of the loss of income of the silversmiths, real or perceived. And so we can see here that in this these passages, the, the word can refer to all kinds of things. It can refer to a gathering of people as disorganized as a riot, as organized as a formal political legislative body. And it can have other meanings in between. And, of course, it can also have this meaning of this religious association uh, that is the use that Jesus has. Uh, in the Old Testament in Greek, there are times where the whole congregation of Israel, Israel had come together for a secular purpose especially, was called the Ecclesia. And also even when they were gathering when Solomon was uh, in, instituting the temple, that term was used as well. Important for us in this purpose is to understand that Ecclesia has no inherent religious meaning. It doesn't have any re inherent religious denotation. It doesn't assume a certain level of organization. It just involves a group of people who come together. Now, it's interesting. What is the name of the church? Well, Jesus called it the Ecclesia. That's the... One thing that we see him call it, the Ecclesia here. It's also in Matthew 18. The Paul and the Apostles will talk about the Ecclesia. It's not named beyond that. It's described in greater specificity, but it's not specifically named. Uh, I, we, we associate the Sphenus Church of Christ. That term is used because in Romans 16, 16, Paul says, All the churches of Christ greet you. Uh, we emphasize with that description that the church belongs to Christ. But in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, uh, Paul talks about the church of God that is in Corinth. In Acts 9 and verse 2, it's called the way. Acts 24 and verse 5, the group is called the sect of the Nazarenes. And in Hebrews 12, 23, uh, the Hebrew author can speak of the church of the firstborn. All of these describe the assembly in some way. Most of them are used in terms of God and Christ. And these descriptions, you know, who owns the church? The church is a church belonging to God, belonging to Christ. It's, that, it's the group of people who belong to him. And so it's very important to keep that in mind as well. And when we look at how Christians are described within the assembly, it can help us understand some more about the church. Uh, saints. A lot of confusion about the word saints. A lot of people use the word saint to refer to certain special holy people of the past. And while those who have gone on and who lived righteous lives can be considered saints, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2, Paul calls the Christians in Corinth saints. And you go through that book, and it's pretty clear that they're not exactly what we would consider saints. They've got a lot of difficulties and issues. It's a it's just people who are supposed to be holy people, people uh, who are set apart for God's purposes, something that should be true of all Christians. Uh, throughout the text, we see this use of the Greek Adelphoi, uh, brothers, uh, often the old school brethren, uh, referring to brothers and sisters, 1 Corinthians one ten, many other passages, uh, used by Christians to describe one another, which emphasizes a common bond as children of the Heavenly Father, that Christians are brothers and sisters in Christ, they're family. Uh, but in these descriptions, we don't see any organization or structure beyond any local churches stated or implied or denoted in any way. And so it's important to keep in mind about the church based on the word ecclesia is that it's an assembly. It's people. The church is people. In English, church may now refer to an organization or institution. In the New Testament, it referred to people collective of people does not denote or assume any inherent level of organization or hierarchy. 
And so what is this ecclesia then, this group of people who belong to Christ? What, what, what kind of institution does exist? Well, the term is used in various ways in the New Testament that could seem contradictory on the surface, but are understand- is understandable as we kind of under- uh, pursue it. So, for instance, in Ephesians 5, in Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul will talk about the church as a body, that there's one body, like there's one Lord and one faith, and that uh, the husband, you know, as the husband is the wife, so Christ is the church, and vice versa. And so, in these ways of looking at it, the church is one. And it's, we call that universal. When we talk about universal, it means it's all those who have been saved in Christ Jesus. Interestingly, there's very little structure or organization when it comes to the church. Jesus is its head. The apostles uh, and prophets are its foundation, Ephesians 2. All Christians are its kind of its stones in the wall, so to speak, living stones of 1 Peter 2. Um... But beyond that, they all are equal in Christ, Galatians 3.28. And so there's the universal church, which is all believers at all times. Even though Paul will talk about the one body, the one church, and for instance, Romans 16.16, there's the churches of Christ uh, that salute you. Uh, Paul writes to the church that is in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2, to the church that is in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 1. And the other, thus, this instance of the church, we would say, is a local church. It's it's the group of God's people or it's meeting in a certain place at a certain time. Uh, Christ is the head of those churches. For instance, in Revelation 2 and 3, he writes to each of the seven churches of Asia, having uh, uh, praise and rebuke for each, recognized on the basis of what's going on in those situations. Those churches individually are to be overseen and shepherded by men who are qualified elders, served by qualified deacons, as we see from the example in Acts 14.23 and the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. But beyond this local level of organization, we see nothing else in the pages of Scripture. There are Christians who have association with uh, Christians in other nearby local churches. So in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, and 10, there's uh, the idea of fellowship there, even fellowship with Paul. Uh, They are aware of each other. You can speak of churches in Macedonia and Achaia, for instance. But there's no indication that any local church exerted authority over any other local church in any way, shape, or form. We consider that referencing to one another, the local, the New Testament churches were autonomous, or self-governing. Uh, they looked to Christ alone as their authority and, and, and heeded the words of the apostles, but did not presume to have authority over each other. There's also another way we can look at the church, something that's not necessarily as explicit in the New Testament, except maybe in Revelation 7. Uh, the idea of the living church, those who are still alive on earth in the body, uh, could be considered the church militant, those who are still fighting the good fight of faith in First Timothy, uh, who are uh, put on the whole armor of God and fighting the wiles of the devil in Ephesians 6. Uh, those who have passed on, those who uh, have fallen asleep, the church glorified or the church triumphant, those awaiting the resurrection. And so we can look at the church, and it's one in many different groups. We shouldn't get too worried about this. It'd be easy, wait, how am I going to know what's being described? Well, for the majority of the scriptures, we can kind of understand by context. And it's important to keep in mind that there's probably a reason why uh, Paul, Peter, and the others didn't delineate. Because what is true about the universal should be true about the local in its specific time and place. Uh, and 
and those who are the local church should all hopefully be part of the universal church. Um, but it's important to recognize that they are the church, because in the end there will not be any more local. There will not be militant versus triumphant. Uh, we will all be before the throne. We will all be in the resurrection. We will be the universal church assembled, and it will be a beautiful day when that day comes. You see in First Thessalonians 4, Revelation 21, other passages. And so the Church of Christ can refer to one of many groups in this sense, in terms of different individual local churches or the one universal church, and they are all joined in Christ. So who is in the church? Who is in this ecclesia of which we speak? Well, there's a lot of accusations made about uh, people who are associate Church of Christ that we think that we're the only ones going to heaven. And that kind of statement belies a few things. It looks at the church in a very denominational way. Uh, it's it's not taking its cue from the New Testament, how the New Testament speaks of the church. It's taking its cue from looking at the religious world's landscape in the late 20th or early 21st century. It's also an oversimplification, and unfortunately sometimes it's a parody that ends up being uh, not unjust based on how certain people will speak. But here's the, we still have to ask the question, who is in the Church of Christ? Well, those who are in the church are those who are saved in Christ Jesus is the easy answer, but uh, who are they? Who are these saved? Well, it's very important. This is something that we often do and get ourselves in trouble with, and that's play judge. That's why uh, James warns us in James 4, 11, 12 that we should not be judging one another. Uh, because uh, if we start judging uh, each other, we become judges of the law, not doers of it. There's one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. Who are, who are we to judge our neighbor? Uh, same sentiments there in Romans 14 as well. We'll each stand or fall before our master. And so that it's absolutely true that in the end, the ultimate judgment is for God. And so we have no right to say who is going to be uh, saved, who is going to be condemned in any absolute way. That's God's prerogative. But the New Testament does say things like, he who endures to the end is the one who will be saved in Matthew 10, 22. Uh, Romans 5, the need for obedience unto the, in, among the nations. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9, that those who do not know God, those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus will be separated from him on that day. Uh, we see that the church in 1 Timothy 3, 15 is the pillar and support of the truth. It upholds what God has declared is right and true in, in Jesus. Uh, Colossians 1 and verse 18, there's Christ's body is the church. Ephesians 4 and verse 4, there's one body. So, those who are in the church are those who are obedient to Christ Jesus. They are the ones who will be saved on the final day. Those are the ones who are going to be saved. Those are the ones who are in the church, the universal church of Christ. But what about those who are in local congregations of churches of Christ? How is that supposed to work? Well, ideally, the local church represents a reflection of those who are part of the universal church in any given area at a given time. But it's not necessarily that way. So, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2, Paul's writing to the saints in Corinth, and yet in that letter to the saints in Corinth, he speaks of uh, people who have done things and are doing things that they do not repent, they're not going to be saved. In Revelation 2 and 3, he Jesus warning the churches if they don't do what he says, he's going to take away their lampstand. He's going to come against them in judgment. Uh, we can see 1 Corinthians 5 very vividly what, what the Corinthian church is to do with the man who has his father's wife, and if he doesn't repent, what's going to happen to him? Hebrews 10, 26-31, the fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God, that those who have uh, turned back into sin after having 
found uh, salvation in Jesus uh, are in, are not in a good condition. And so, it's very possible, in fact, probable, unfortunately, that there are many who assemble uh, in churches of Christ who are not actually in the universal church of Christ. And if they do not repent, they're not going to obtain the resurrection of life. And so we've got to be careful. Those who are in the church universal are only known to God. We can only do the best we can to associate with those whom, for what we can see and know, are striving to walk in the light. So in 1 John 1, 3 through 2, 6, the idea that if we uh, walk in the light, see us in the light, the blood, we, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sin, 1 John 1 and verse 8. As we are holding to the same truth, we can have confidence that we are on the same path. In the end, we might find out we are on the same path. But as best we can, that's the decision that we're going to be held accountable to. We're not going to be held accountable before God for whether or not uh, our brother or sister in Christ, who we thought was in Christ, is going to be saved. In the end, we're going to be held responsible for uh, our association and the decisions we made about our association. The actual judgment of salvation is in the hands of God in Christ. And that's why it's very important for us to be clear that uh, just because a person assembles of the Church of Christ, and just because the Church of Christ may be teaching the truth, that means that that person's definitely going to get the resurrection of life. It's not a free pass. None should be deceived about that. Because just because you assemble the Church of Christ does not mean you are part of the Church of Christ. Because the Church, as described in the New Testament, is a collective of the saved. It's not some organization with that has salvation in it. That's one of the distortions that's come since, the idea that the Church somehow maintains the power of salvation. It's not the way that it works. Uh, it's not just enough to associate with the Church. We need to be obedient, and by standing firm with the Lord Jesus, will we be demonstrated as part of the Church of Christ. So, the Church of Christ are those who have association with God, and we need to be obedient for and maintain that association. So those are who are in the church, but why does it exist? And that's a question a lot of people are wondering. A lot of people have had bad experiences with the church, or they've heard about bad experiences with the church. They've seen churches in the news for less than optimal reasons, and they think, why bother? Uh, there's a lot of suspicion and hesitance about organizations anyway. And it's a good question to ask, why? I mean, God could have just kept the universal church and just had individual Christians going around as individuals doing their thing. Why are they supposed to associate in local congregations? And the New Testament answers this question for us in 1 Corinthians 14.26 and Hebrews chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians 14.26, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. And in Hebrews chapter 10, and in verse 24, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the church is there for encouragement and building up, for strengthening and building up. And... It's kind of inherent in the name. The church is the assembly. What kind of assembly is there that never assembles? The church is supposed to be meeting frequently to provide strength and encouragement for its members and for those who are interested in exploring the truth of God in Christ. Now, it cannot serve as that source of encouragement if a person does not assemble with the church. And the church uh, 
cannot really be that source of strength unless you're with the brethren frequently and participating and seeking to be a source of encouragement and strength for others. And it's very important because God recognizes our limitations and weaknesses. Uh, none of us are islands. Uh, the devil likes it when we get isolated and alone. If we spend time together, we strengthen each other in our faith, we build each other up, it's it's easier to resist the temptations of the evil one, it's easier to live righteously, to manifest Christ in our lives, to proclaim Christ in our word and deed, and uh, that allows others to hear and see and be willing to come be part of it, and that increases the association, increases the opportunity for strengthening building up, and you have a very virtuous cycle. On the other hand, if we withdraw because of sin, because of isolation, because of temptation, uh, we're not going to be around one another as much. It's more easy to hide sin. It's more easy to get discouraged. It's easier to maybe not talk about as much. We, the lives we live may not look much different than the lives of the secularists among us. And therefore, there's really no benefit to being part of this thing because you can just not be part of it, have the same frustrations and pains in life, and get to sleep in on Sunday morning. So that's why it's so important for the church to recognize what it's doing while it's on earth. Yes, individuals are to be obeying God. Yes, there's things we need to do when we come together to obey God. But it's a resource that we can use to strengthen and to build each other up so that God is glorified and that the body may build itself up in love in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And it's so important to be around one another. And we are to do that during the regular assemblies and the spiritual activities that we do in those assemblies. We're also supposed to do that in opportunities outside of that context. The hospitality to be shown in 1 Peter 4 and verse 9, etc. And so we have to ask, is the church a source of encouragement? Are we encouraged by our association with the church? It's very easy to point fingers at other people if we're not. But, since the church is people, and we are the people... If we are not getting the encouragement that we seek, it's perhaps possible because we're not giving the encouragement that we need to give. Uh, that's why we all need to strive to make the church a source of encouragement and, 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 and building up for all who are involved. So these are some of the basics of the, the church that we see in the pages of Scripture. Is it called the church? We call it the church of Christ, the church of God, if we wanted to, church of the firstborn, the way. There's other terms, but... Just for convenience, we speak of it as a church of Christ, because it is the assembly that belongs to the Lord Jesus. And it's the collective of all who are saved, the church universal, and that members of that church universal, while on uh, their time on earth, are to associate with one another in local congregations of God's people, and they are to encourage each other, build each other up, to walk in the light, and to avoid the works of darkness. That This word is assembly, and it doesn't have any inherent meaning of religious organization, but it certainly can refer to a group of people who associate in the name of Jesus. That's the important thing. The church is people. There's no indication in the New Testament of any large organized denomination like we see today. There's just individual local congregations where Christians associate with one another and they associate with each other as part of the universal church to build each other up. No one's going to be saved just because they have assembled with the right church. We must have our own faith. We need to strive to be obedient to God and to encourage one another. And because of that, we're going to work together as a group of people who are saved in Christ to build each other up to glorify Him, which is a local church of Christ. 
And so let us perceive that church of Christ that God has established and seek to be a part of it and to build it up and to be uh, strengthened in it forevermore. I'm so glad again that you've joined us. If you've benefited from this, if you'd like, we'd please encourage you to share it on uh, social media. Tell your friends about it. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about us, to consider other discussions, uh, have some questions or comments, please let us know. Uh, you can find us online at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. We're also on social media. You can also find me, personally, Ethan, at DeVerbalVitae.com, www.D-E-V-E-R-B-O-V-I-T-A-E.com. And if I can be any service, you want to contact me, please do so. We're again thankful for your uh, participation with us today, and uh, have a great day.